0: keeper pile how long do you hold on to them oh i don't know just until my pile
1: gets too big and then i'll take some out and sell them
0: yeah you got a horn buyer
1: uh yeah currently no one seems to be buying antlers this year I've yeah it's ha- weird i know i've been in trouble having trouble finding someone to sell antlers to this year i don't know yeah, what's that's going me. on I've with the market got a
0: I got a pile in the garage I've been trying to get rid of. And like the only time I ever see a horn buyer is just like up on main street. So I, whenever I go pick up a kid or anything like that, I cruise past main street just to check to see if there's a horn buyer. Uh-huh. And I, the only time I've ever heard of one was I texted a buddy and I said, Hey, if you ever see a horn buyer in town, let me know. And I was in Vegas that day and he texts me back and he's like, Hey, there's a horn buyer on main street, but I was in Vegas that day. That's the only time <laughs> I've seen him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I usually just find them on Instagram and then DM them and, ask them if they're willing to buy my antlers and usually they say yes but this year it's been like (laughs) oh the market's finicky and we don't want to we don't want to buy antlers if we can't get rid of them to to whatever markets they sell them to to the asian markets or whatever
0: is is it pretty finicky right now do you know
1: yeah i mean just coming from the antler buyer that i normally sell to he wasn't willing to take the antlers i have off my hands so no kidding yeah, Dang. and I've got a I whole hoping... stack in my basement that's from this shed year, and mm-hmm. I was hoping to use some of that money for for hunting money, you know, and no one's willing to buy them, so I'm just sitting you, on a you couple. of sound grand just like of me.
0: Yeah. that's me. I've got a. I I've I probably got maybe I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't even say how much we've got, but I've, I've right. got a, I've got a few. <laughs> I've got a few grand, and I mean, today's day and age, it's you got to be careful what you say because people could just Google your address. But I know, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I got a few grand, probably worth in my garage, and like that's the same thing I was thinking. It's like, man, I need to pay off some credit card, you know, application fees, some tag I fees.
1: I know Montana is yeah. an expensive well, state to put in for as a non-resident.
0: <laughs> oh man, every state, right?
1: Every state, yeah.
0: Yeah, Wyoming's getting to be real tough.
1: Oh yeah i know I've, to be i'm tough. fearful for wyoming like i don't know what the future holds as far as drawing tags in that state seems like every year it just keeps point creeping up and up and i don't know yeah. some of the units that you could draw with one or two points now they take upwards of five points so yeah it's getting kind of yeah point creep and then it the seems like every time i
0: turn around they're trying to increase non-resident costs you know
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah
0: makes it tough i love wyoming too i think the only answer is just to move up there
1: yeah i know right it's probably yeah. the best state to be a resident in for hunting purposes yep. i just don't know where i'd live within the state and what i would do <laughs> for a job you know
0: that's the thing you drive through wyoming and you're like where where would i live there's some spots i mean like i i, I really like sheridan like all on that eastern front of the bighorns and yeah. I I like Lander. I like uh, a bunch of that Western range, which is nice country. And even my brother lives in Riverton, and it's you know oil town. But like he was sending me, he's out Antelope hunting right now. Yesterday actually, he was sending me pictures all day. He's like, oh, I've had four different bucks come in. I've probably had thirty or forty does. He's just sitting a blind on a water hole, and I'm just like, man, that sounds amazing right now. Maybe <laughs> it'd be worth living out there in the flats.
1: Nice, right? Yeah, like. If you live in your hunting area, it makes it a lot easier. You know, you could run out for an evening and get a quick hunt in without having to make a full, you know, 10 hour drive and make a week long trip for it. You could just hunt in the evening or in the mornings before work or whatever, make it really convenient.
0: I think he's like, uh, what was he saying? Seventeen minutes or something from his house to his blind. So it's just like an evening he can run out there if he wants to after work. You know, morning he's nice. got a few hours. He teaches school, so yeah, he, uh, yeah. It's it's man, I don't know. And and every year I've I've told this before, but like every year he'll text me, "What you you know? What have you drawn? What tags do you have?" And we'll kind of run through it, and um, he'll have like five tags and have have spent like one hundred and fifty bucks as a resident.
1: Dang, I know. <laughs> Yeah. My brother used yep. to live in Montana and uh, he mm. would spend like 120 bucks and he could get a mule deer tag, elk tag, antelope and bear for like right around a hundred bucks. So yeah, like, man, maybe I'm living in the wrong state for hunting.
0: <laughs> That's it, man. That's it. I gotta, gotta find a way to get to Wyoming or Montana. It sounds like.
1: I know. Yeah. Utah well, I, is I nice because it's centrally located, you know, but. Like to all the other Western states, it's centrally located. It's only like a five to 10 hour drive going to any Western state from here. Like, whereas if you live in Montana, you got to drive 14, 16 hours to get down to Arizona and just different things like that. So I feel like Utah is good for that. But as far as hunting goes within the state, it's, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I hear you. It's probably not. I appreciate you jumping on. um i'm just gonna do uh i'll um... do yeah i'll do a quick i I start i started recording i record everything just in case you know just to make sure it works but um i'll just i'm gonna do a quick promo read and then you know we'll just introduce you and and just chit chat about mule deer and mule deer hunting and gear and all that jazz right okay all right So, uh, welcome guys. Uh, this is the game trail podcast. I think last, last episode I did, I think it was, was, I think I said it was episode number four It was actually episode number five. So I think you'll be number six. So it's pretty new, (laughs) still trying to get things off the ground, but, um, good response. This last episode that I did, uh, this episode I wanted to have, uh, Jared Knighton on. So Jared Knighton, um, I don't think you and I have ever met face to face that I'm aware of. Uh, I've followed you on Instagram for a long time and, I've been following along, uh, you've done some hunt films, which I think is, I think I saw a recent hunt film that you did. You probably just released it. How long ago?
1: Oh, like five, six days ago, something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty recent. And so I I saw that come up in my YouTube feed and I just watched that. And then I went back and watched some of your shed hunting trips that you did. I watched the, the film that you did last year, I think on an archery mule deer hunt spot and stock mule deer hunt. I want to talk about it here towards the end of it because there was a giant buck in there, so I wanted to find out kind of what was the story with it and what happened there. But yeah. um, before I get going, before I kind of introduce you, let it let uh, let you get a chance to kind of talk and tell us about yourself. I want to do a quick promo read. So for any of my listeners that uh, get a chance to to listen to the episode, um, if you guys want to sign up for a Go Hunt Insider account, um, you can use the the promo code Game Trail. It's just G A M T E T R A I L spelling was never my strong suit jared <laughs> anyway <laughs> mine either uh, you're good yeah so you, we're both from utah so i mean it's just inherent right that we're probably not gonna be able to spell <laughs> right so yeah. use the use the promo code GameTrail. uh if you sign up for an insider account you're gonna get 50 points that's 50 bucks back to the go hunt gear shop that you can use towards the purchase of any gear uh if you sign up for the explorer which is the maps portion of our platform that subscription uh, using the promo code game trail we're going to give you 20 points back to the go hunt game uh, the go hunt gear shop so like I said now now is really kind of the time to, to buy a, buy some gear get loaded up and it's time to actually go hunting so archery hunts kick off here in Utah this coming Saturday um, I'm going to be out I've got my my deer tag finally I, I got my general season elk tag so I'm going to be out Saturday Sunday Monday and then uh, I got to run to Vegas on Tuesday but then I'll be back out again you know the next weekend so it's time to go hunting uh, I would appreciate it if you guys, uh, you know, if you sign up for an insider account or a Gohan Explorer account, use that promo code GameTrail. Um, also, I mean, if you if you guys like the podcast, if you found anything interesting or found any information, um, you know, give us a review. That will help me. I just found that out actually. I'm pretty slow when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I found out if you give a review, it helps your uh, your overall. Um, ranking i guess if you will i don't know i don't know what i'm talking about really but that's what i was told to say is give us a review so so do that so without uh further ado i'm gonna i'm gonna let jared talk about himself a little bit i wanted to know i know that you're from utah but give us a little bit about uh your background who you are where you're from where you grew up uh what you do for a living and then you know maybe a little bit about like how you got into hunting
1: uh well i'm from salt lake utah i'm born and raised here So I'm kind of a city kid, but I've always loved hunting. My, my dad used to take us hunting when I was a kid and it was more of just an annual event back then, you know, just going out for a week, once a year type deal, just still hunting through the trees. My dad kind of taught me like the basics of, of hunting, but we never were too serious in it. And then right around like 2013, 2014, I just. I don't know, something switched in my brain and I just fell in love with hunting and everything mm-hmm. is now hunting. Like my whole world is just revolved around hunting. It seems like, like everything I do I ch- is just goals towards hunting, you know? So did you, I just eat. L- let me ask real quick. It. Did you,
0: did you play high school sports or anything like that?
1: I didn't No. no. Okay. I, I liked basketball. That was my sport, but I guess I just wasn't good enough to make the teams, you know, (laughs) (laughs) kind of competitive at the high school that I went to.
0: Yeah, no, I I asked that because it seems like a lot of people I talk to, I think they, you know, they they grow up, they play some high school sports. So they do, you know, something like that, that they're kind of working on at the younger age. At least I feel like this is how it was for me. And like, and then I got to, you know, my early 20s and I was like, man, I, I don't really have that thing to like you know, work towards or work on, you know, and I'd always kind of liked the outdoors and I, and I liked to hunt, but really at that point it became like that new thing, like that new challenge for me. So I was curious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I got really into weightlifting in high school and mm-hmm. I didn't like competitively lift or anything, but I would set goals in the weight room and try to achieve those goals. So maybe that was a precursor for it, but definitely yeah. I, I love setting goals and hunting and trying to achieve those goals. And it just seems like I'm always trying to like do better and better every year and just get things more dialed. So
0: do you, uh, you still lift weights, you still work out?
1: I do. I try to, I mean, time permitting, you know, things mm-hmm. are really busy these days. Got a newborn at home and, well, he's not really newborn, but eight month old at home and work a full time gotcha. job. And so, you know, sometimes I don't always make it to the gym, but. I try yeah. to make it as, as often as possible, a couple days a week.
0: So you got a you got a newborn? Is it your first?
1: Yeah, it's my first. Yep. Gotcha boy, I gave girl. him a good mountain name like you have. Ridge is his <laughs> name. <laughs> yep, he's What's his name? Ridge.
0: Ridge, I like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, like a mountain top. Very
0: very good. What uh yeah. what do you do for a living currently?
1: Uh I work in corrections, so Oh, correctional sergeant at, at the prison. Yeah, like it's an point interesting in the job. Uh, yeah. Well, they tore that one down. Now it's up. In oh, Salt right. Lake, but
0: yeah. How long you been doing that?
1: Oh, five and a half years or so. Yeah. It's a good how'd job. You, you get into benefits that? And, I don't know. I just applied one day and, and got the job and I've just been there ever since, but. I know they do. They have a good schedule for hunting because it's rotating twelve-hour shifts, so I can take mm-hmm. three days off and get ten off, and you know it's it's really good for time off and for hunting. So that's one reason gotcha. why I really like it. But and it's just an you pr- you interesting probably... job. Always keeps you on your toes.
0: <laughs> I bet you probably got some good stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, some interesting stories for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, does that does that come home with you at night? Like you probably need, yeah, you probably need the outdoors. You probably need those ten days.
1: Absolutely, yeah, hunting is a good escape from, from that, that life. So that's really, yeah. that's why I really enjoy getting outdoors and and just escaping all that.
0: I know um, I've got a nephew, his name is Spencer Eldridge. I don't know if you know him, but he, he worked in corrections and now he works, uh, he's got a dog. I don't know if it's like the canine unit or there's something there in Lehigh, but I know that the the older, the longer he's been into that profession, it seems like he, he kind of craves and gets outdoors as much as possible because I'm sure that yeah. stuff just comes home with you. I'm sure I'm sure it's hard to deal with at times, you know, so you probably need some disconnect at times, long, yeah, long trips, you know, back in the outdoors to kind of free your brain a little bit
1: absolutely yeah the the outdoors is the best place to just decompress and reset your mind and and just really get back to like an even keel so i love i love the outdoors for that and that's one of the reasons why i get out as much as i do but even before i worked there i loved i loved getting outdoors so it just seems Mm -hmm. like it's something that i've always been just drawn to
0: gotcha um Cool. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. I, it's, uh, I didn't know that about you. So that's, it's always fun to get to know, yeah. you know, you, you see people on, on social media or Instagram, or you see a YouTube video, you don't get to really know that much about a person and what makes a person the way that they are. So it's always fun to hear their background and kind of hear, you know, what they do for a living. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I work in the hunting industry and, you know, they, I do stuff for go hunting content. And so, you know, people see me on YouTube all the time but. There's just so many people out there that are, you know, day in, day out, you know, doing, you know, jobs like a correction officer now. But I I see your videos. I see your your Instagram account. I see your, you know, the the success that you have in the field. It's always fun to get to know people and get to know what what drives them and what pushes them and why they do the things that they do. So, interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is interesting. Um, People always just think I'm jobless and (laughs) get to live some You know, fun influencer life. I'm like, no, that that is not reality for me. That'd be great, but it's it's not.
0: (laughs)
2: So,
1: yeah, I think if people if people think you're jobless, you're
0: doing it right, right? right? That's (laughs) yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Means I'm putting in good work, I guess.
0: That's it. So. I know you, uh, you like to bow hunt, kind of, I wanted to spend like maybe the first half of the podcast, just talking about, uh, gear and just talking about archery, primarily like archery, mule deer spot and stock hunting. I wanted to talk some gear. So I was curious as to what your setup is like this year. So like, what kind of bow are you shooting Sight release, um, you know, rest stabilizer setup and, and kind of why you chose what you chose.
1: So this year I'm still rocking the Matthews Atlas from a couple of years ago. I've just been shooting mm-hmm. that bow the last few years. It's it seems to be a great shooting bow for me. I, I don't have a super long draw, but I have a 30 inch draw. So it's, it's kind of borderline on that long draw. And I really like look for a tall axle to axle bow. It's just more forgiving. Um, it has a super high brace height too. It's like seven and three quarter brace height, which Slows down the bow quite a bit, but it also is a really forgiving bow. And I'm more of an accuracy guy over over speed, but mm-hmm. I don't know, everyone's got their preferences. But I shoot that bow yeah. really well, so I like it. And I'm rocking a dialed side on it and a ham ski rest. And then I just run the Matthews q Light quiver on it. actually just mm-hmm. picked that up this year. So all my accessories are kind of newer. Oh, and then cutter stabilizers. Yep. Gotcha. Run a are you twelve shooting? inch bar on the front and a ten on the back. I think mm-hmm. I've got three ounces up front, I think. And then like six in the back, something like that. So gotcha. I don't know, I should probably play weight play with my weights a little bit more on my stabilizers, but I it seems like I just end up shooting it and I'm like, Oh, that feels good, you know.
2: Yeah.
1: So, as long as I'm hitting the center of the target, I'm happy.
0: Yeah, yeah. That that's it. Uh, I don't see many people shooting an Atlas bow. I know that it came out a few years ago. I know that I've got some buddies that are long draw. I know Brady. I think his his draw length is like thirty one and a half or something. Um, I've talked to some other guys that are you know six five six six that have got you know thirty thirty two inch draws, really long draws. But I don't see many people you know, in that 29, 30 inch draw length window, um, you know, I'm a 30 inch draw, uh, that bow to me, I think is an interesting bow, but I don't see a bunch of people packing it around and, and shooting it. And yeah, I was, I was curious, like I've, I've watched your, your hunt films and I noticed that you were shooting that bow. Um, do, do you have any, I mean, do you really think that like, it's more forgiving? Do you feel like a longer axle axle bow is that much more forgiving
1: I mean, I feel like it is. I don't know if it's just psychological. Like, I never know how much of archery is just psych psychological and and what you tell yourself or what's actually, like, objectively true. But, I, I mean, I feel like I'm slightly more accurate than I was with, like, my Matthews Traverse, which was a 33 and, and three quarters. Uh, axle to axle, I believe, is what it was, but... and i don't know maybe i just didn't shoot that that bow well because i didn't practice as much that season or you know whatever it may be you know Mm -hmm. you play with your gear so much and there's so many variables you never know is it the bow is it because i didn't eat that day is it because you know just different things you know there's so much that goes into archery that it's hard to tell like what what is causing me to to miss or what is causing me to hit slightly off you know there's just mm-hmm. there's a lot of variables to play with. So, is it is yeah. it more accurate than a like a phase four thirty three? I don't know because I haven't shot one. So, I mean, if I had mm-hmm. the money this year, I probably would have upgraded to a phase four, but I just didn't have the funds for it this year. So, yeah. spent all my money on tags.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which which is what I would tell people to, to do, spend your money on tags. If you got a bow that you like and it shoots well and you can be proficient with it, spend your money on tags, you know, go, go chase animals and not necessarily gear. You know, if you got one that works um, and you shoot it well, go with, go with tags. You did say a couple of things there that I think were interesting that I would like to point out is that uh, one um, I think, I think so much of archery is psychological and, and just like confidence and equipment is so critical Like if you, you can have the, a bow that fits you absolutely perfectly draw length, everything. Um, you know, it can be the latest, greatest, it can be the quietest, the most shock-free, but if you're just not confident in it, if you just don't feel like you shoot that bow as well, you know, you, you're not going to do as well. So I think confidence is everything in a bow. I know that I've got a phase four. Um, I've also got a V3X that I had last year, maybe two years. I'm trying to remember how long I've had it, but I've hunted at least a couple seasons with that V three X and that's the bow I'm hunting with this year over the phase four. And you know what specs wise, they're almost identical. They're they're essentially the same riser, 33 inches axle to axle speed is real close. Um, There's some minor variations in limbs and the way they put that bow together, but shooting those bows back to back day after day, just kind of playing with the two of them. Like I'm just ultra confident in that V three X. And for whatever reason, I don't know why (laughs) that's the bow that I like better. So I mean, I'm more confident in that bow. I I feel like I shoot it better, which to me, it is probably just in my head. And it's interesting that you said that, that you're just confident in that bow. That's how I feel about that V3X. I just have a bow that I really like and I really shoot well. So I think confidence is definitely key. Another thing that you said I thought was really interesting is that, uh, you know, when you go to the range and I assume that you're practicing, I'm practicing, I'm shooting every morning. Um, there's days when I just don't seem to shoot that well. And I'm like trying to sort through it in my head. I'm trying to figure out what it was about that day that just, I didn't shoot that well. And one thing that you said is that maybe you just didn't eat that day. Mm -hmm. I, I think about that a lot. Like I, I don't shoot, I don't seem to shoot as well if I'm shooting like on an empty stomach or if I've just like straight out of bed, I've had, you know, half a pot of coffee and then I run up to the archer range (laughs) on an empty stomach. It seems like I've got that caffeine thrown, you know, flowing through my system and I've got kind of got the jitters and it just doesn't aim as well. And I just don't shoot as well. So there's definitely something to that.
1: Yeah. Those caffeine jitters, they can throw an arrow all over
0: the target. (laughs) So for sure
1: all about that. Um, yeah. If you don't eat a meal, I feel like it's just like weightlifting. Like you're pulling a 70, 75 pound bow back, like over and over again. And like, I get it. There's an 80% release or relief, you know, at the, at mm-hmm. the bottom of the Valley, but still like, I feel like just over and over repetition and holding it at full draw. And just, you know, sometimes like if you haven't eaten, it just, it really has an effect on, on how you're, on how your body responds to, to holding your bow back and releasing the arrow. And I feel like I'm more like quick on the trigger versus just like floating my pin and going through the steps and process. And I feel like once you start hitting like bad too, then you've got it in your head that, you know, you're doing something wrong and then you're trying to correct every little possible thing that it could be. Oh, am I holding my release wrong? Am I, am mm-hmm. I gripping weird? Am I, you know, there's so much that goes into it that you start really like playing with things. And then if you play with too many things, then you're really missing the target. Cause you're just, you know, you're, you're messing up with too many of your, of your things. Yep. So I like to just practice, practice, practice. But if I'm shooting bad, I'll stop and just put my bow down. Cause there's no point in like continuing to practice. If you're, if you're not practicing correctly because then you're yep. just practicing bad habits and implementing bad habits into your, into your like second nature, which you don't want to do.
0: Hmm. Which is, is hard to do. It's always hard for me. I know that. Like, I just think, Oh, I'm going to shoot it out. You know, if I'm yeah. just not shooting oh, yeah. good, and I'll we're just keep all shooting the same.
1: We're all great. Yep. Yeah. I've definitely done that. So, and then I just keep getting more and more frustrated and, like oh maybe my cam timing's off or maybe you know this is off and you start really like diving down all these rabbit holes of what could what could be wrong with your bow and normally I just come to the conclusion that it's probably just me and I'll pick up my bow later that day or tomorrow and see if it's hitting the same and if it is then then it's probably my bow and not me but
0: yeah, I I agree. What are you shooting for arrows and broadheads? I was curious.
1: This year, I'm sh- I've been shooting the Eastern Axis long range the last couple of years. I really like that arrow, just a micro diameter shaft, and then I run the half out titanium inserts. I do the titaniums because I feel like they're a little more durable and they're not going to bend in as easily as like an aluminum or stainless, but. I really yeah. I really like that arrow. I think it performs yeah. well and, and yeah, that's what I'm shooting for arrows. As far as broadheads go, I like to shoot the severs, the 1.5s for mule deer and then I run the was it? The Iron Wheel S series mm-hmm. for elk. That's kind of what I run for elk as far as broadheads go. I've had really good gotcha really good results with the uh with the or with the uh Sever broadheads. I really like those. The mechanicals just seem to fly so perfectly, you know. You don't even have to broadhead tune really. They just fly with your with your field points without doing anything to your bow. So I yep. really like that about those.
0: Yeah, I was out I was out shooting broadheads this morning, so that's what I'm shooting. Is all, you and I have almost identical setups as far as arrows go other than I'm shooting the VAP TKOs by Victory. Mm-hmm. And then uh I'm shooting the the same insert, the same Easton half out insert for the four yeah, millimeters. Nice. And mm-hmm. I'm shooting that in the in the end of that arrow. And and I agree with you, they just seem to be more durable. The other thing I like about those half out titanium eastons is that they seem to be straighter. So I have more arrows I think mm-hmm. that have less wobble in them it seems like the tolerance and those are are tighter than your typical aluminum inserts. So that's what I've been shooting too. I wish they weren't so expensive, but man, they are. (laughs) I know
1: $50 for six is breaking the bank. It's, but I mean, they're worth it. If you want like a really pristine setup, that's you got to pay for it. That's what I've learned Mm -hmm. over the years. If you want quality gear, you got to pay for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree and i uh i have never shot the uh the iron wheels. i mean i've talked to a bunch of people that have I know that they're super popular that's another one of those equipment purchases that if you decide to you know dive down the rabbit hole you can you can pay through the nose for them cuz they aren't cheap but i was curious yeah, as to your know. thoughts since you do shoot them for elk um and i assume that you practice with them like how do you feel uh like edge retention is on those heads like do you touch them up after you're practicing with them or do they stay sharp yeah they they
1: stay pretty sharp i've got one one that's just primarily a practice head. It was actually given to me by my buddy Alex Millward, but yeah, because mm-hmm. I was curious about trying them. and he's like, "Here, I've got one. Just try one out, see if you like it." And just been shooting it as my practice one ever since. But it seems to fly really good. You definitely have to broadhead tune with that one, um, mm-hmm. but once once you get it tuned up, it's it's a really good broadhead as far as flight goes. And then the edge retention seems like it holds up pretty good. It had a couple dings in it originally um, when it was mm-hmm. given to me, and like it still has some dings. And I don't really worry about it because it is my practice one. But so I haven't, I don't, I haven't really like seen any new dings or anything. Like I, I feel like it's got pretty good edge retention, and it feels pretty sharp. And and I know they use like a higher grade steel on it. I can't remember what the what mm-hmm. the steel is whether it's vg10 or what it is but i know it's it's pretty hard steel so i think Catch they hold you. up pretty good
0: i've I've gone to just shooting the severs pretty much for everything and i yeah i was kind of like you like i always figured i lost an elk one time i was i lost a spike in like 2003 i think with a mechanical and uh you know, didn't find him and then I didn't shoot a mechanical again until like two years ago. Um and I was I liked the the design of the Ulmer Edge and then when Sever came out with that head, which was essentially the same design as the Ulmer Edge, with the you know, the way the yeah. the uh, blades came back. Um, I thought I would give him a try and then <laughs> for a long time I was just like I, I still don't feel good about shooting shoot at elk you know and then uh, I had a buddy that kind of talked me into it he was like just do it I you know I think they're going to be they're going to be fine and everything I've shot since then I've shot with a sever I mean I've shot caribou Um, you know I, I shot an antelope last year that I shot frontal and I shot him it went end to end so it went in his chest and then out the rear end like he ate that whole oh, arrow nice. the entire arrow And then uh, I shot my bull. I had a bull uh, tag last year in Utah, and I shot a bull frontal, and he ate that entire arrow. It was buried in the offside hip. Wow. So I think for me at this point, like, I'm just going with the mechanical. Like, they fly so good. Yeah. Um, Like I said this morning, I was shooting them out to 100, and they were just pounding, you know, even out to 100. And I'm like, if I can still get good penetration, even on an animal as big as an elk, and they fly as good as they do, I'm just going to go with them full time. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And the, severs, I mean, the severs have like a durable ferrule and everything. So mm-hmm. like, I don't think that it's an issue, even if you did hit bone, like obviously a fixed blade might hold up a little bit better, but I, I feel like those severs just fly true and accuracy is, is going to get a kill better than, you know, if you make a bad shot with a broadhead that's not tuned properly just cause it's a fixed mm-hmm. blade. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, you're going to need the extra durability, I guess, when you're hitting an elk in the shoulder, but you're still probably not going to recover that animal. So I'd rather have yeah. a broadhead that just flies true and yeah. hits where you want it to hit.
0: I agree. Are you, uh, so, you doing yeah, all I your own you're tuning you're, or you got right a local there. shop? What's that? What's that? I said, What'd uh, you, 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 about... you doing all your own tuning or do you, uh, do you got a local pro shop that you like?
1: No, I wish I did my own tuning, because it's hard to find a Bowtech that you trust, mm-hmm. and I mean, even even some of the more reputable shops around here, like, they have young high school kids as Bowtechs, so it's, it's like I know what I would need to do, like, I could tune my own setup if I needed to, but I don't have the equipment for it. I told myself yeah. this year I was going to buy a press and a vice and all that stuff, and and just start working on my own setup, but money permitting as well. Like, you know, all that stuff costs money. So for sure, eventually that's my goal is to, is to get all those things so I can do it myself. But currently I just, I just take it to people who I trust to, to work on my bow and it's at various places, you know, so I, I don't have like a specific bow shop that I go into. It's, it's more or less just people that I trust to work on my bow.
0: Gotcha. Um, The other thing I wanted to ask you about is I've watched your videos and I can't remember, I want to say maybe we've exchanged some messages in the past, but one of the things I noticed is, and this goes back to a question that I was recently asked. So like just in the last few days, I had somebody DM me and they were going on a high country spot and stock mule deer hunt. And uh, this individual had said, do you have a pair of, uh, you know, like trail runner shoes that you would suggest for, you know, high country spot and stock mule deer and, um, I was kind of watching your videos and as I'm watching any, any video, any hunting video, I'm kind of paying attention to all the gear that people are using. And one thing I noticed is that you're using more of a traditional mountain style boot. And I think you're a Scarpa, probably a Scarpa guy is what it, what it looked like, or, or maybe Las Portivas. No, they're
1: Port- Portivas, yeah. But-
0: yeah. Those triangle, triangle cubes. But I was curious as to like, how would you answer this guy's question? Would you ever take a pair of aggressive trail runners into the high country or what, like, what are you looking for in a boot that you your backpack mule deer hunting?
1: I've thought about it. Um, as far as like running a heavy pack with those boots or with like a light trail runner, I just feel like they don't hold up for my ankles as much mm-hmm. as I'd like them to. Like when you're side hilling on a really steep hill, the trail runners just have way too much play in the sole. They don't have a stiff enough sole for for side hilling through scree and just really rough country. You end up rolling your ankle or hurt like and your feet just hurt like the rocks just dig through. But if you're just if you're just going on trails, like I like to run a light trail runner in the, in the summer when I'm scouting and i just want to get up and down the mountain quick that's when i'll run like a trail runner but as far as like a long backcountry adventure i i gotta have a stiff boot that holds up good especially when you're in like rough rugged country and you're sidehilling through scree and just going through the the thick of it you know you want like a yeah. really durable heavy duty boot that's gonna that's gonna hold up and I've got really weak ankles too. It seems like if I wear a low cut boot, I just seem to roll my ankle every now and again. And it, I just don't want to hurt myself bad enough to where I can't get off the mountain. So yeah. uh, I would run a heavy boot. And then when I'm stalking a mule deer, I'll just drop my boots and I just throw on another pair of socks. So I'll keep like a stalking pair of socks in my backpack that I'll take on the stock with me and I'll just throw those over and then just tuck my pants into my socks. So they're not dragging and picking up debris and stuff. But yeah. it's not like the most comfortable way to stalk a mule deer, but it seems to be the most quiet and effective way to do it. But actually yeah. this year I'm running some stoccasins So I'm excited to try those out. Those leather like moccasins that you can put on. So, We'll see how those work out, but I can, like I've tried running a flip flop or like a slide sandal, Mm -hmm. like on my foot and then putting a sock over the top of the slide. And it just Mm -hmm. seemed like there was so much play in it while I was like going down the hill. Like I just didn't have enough, like my foot was just sliding forward in the, in the sandal and it just, it wasn't very effective. So I was like, well, you know screw that cuz when you're barefoot you got all these thorns poking into you and and rocks like jagged rocks poking into you and it's just not very comfortable or fun so i'll sure. usually drop my boots if i'm like if i need to make like that extra 50 yards or 100 yards and i'm like within like hearing like plain hearing sight of of the of the buck but if it's a blind stock, pretty much the whole way, I'll just keep my boots on and, you know, because there's no need to drop them if he can't see you or hear you because you're behind a ridge or whatever it may be. So mm-hmm. it just kind of depends on the situation, whether I'm dropping my boots or not.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that was going to be my follow up question is like, do you use anything for stocking? And it sounds like you use just like a thick wool sock, right? An over sock. And throw that on. Yeah, that's and, what I've I'm, been I'm doing it's... the
1: last few years, but I yeah. am curious to see how those stockisons ride. I'm w- I'm wondering if there's going to be a lot of play in them or, or if they hold up really good and, you know, stay true to, to like the form yeah. of your foot while you're stocking. I just don't want my yeah. foot to be sliding around and not have good traction because it gets sketchy in some of those spots where you're stocking mealies,
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm on board with you. Um, I've tried the trail runners and I've hunted elk in them before and they're, they're pretty great actually for just, you know, bombing around hunting elk. Like if you've got a 40 pound pack on your back and you're just cruising country, it's actually pretty nice to have a, you know, a trail runner on. Um, I noticed one year I, I was with a buddy and he killed a bull. And for the first half of the hunt, I'd been wearing trail runners and, Uh, I was doing okay. And then he killed a bull and we packed the bull out and it just torched my calves, like just going uphill steep country with a heavy, heavy pack, just absolutely torched my calves. Like I was so fatigued, so tired. And so when I got back to the truck, I changed over to a pair of like, you know, more sturdy boots and uh, I hunted the rest of the hunt in those. And I would say generally overall, they're probably not as comfortable as a trail runner, but I noticed that my legs felt a whole lot better throughout the day. And then I'm like you I've got really bad ankles like I'll, I'll twist my ankle standing in a parking lot like I'll just be standing there and all of a sudden my ankle <laughs> will give out so I, yeah. I totally understand that so I uh I've got bad ankles too so I would say and and you kind of are right in line with what I was thinking I would tell this guy is that just generally they may not be the most comfortable you know boot overall if you're hunting high country mule deer high country elk where the terrain is really steep you've got a lot of rock and you know dirt and and scree. um but your legs will feel better and your ankles will definitely do better over the long haul, especially if you get a heavy pack on your back. So you're kind of right in line with, with where I'm at, what I was going to, going to ask you, what do you like as far as stiffness of so the, the, the triangles are pretty stiff boot. Do you like a pretty stiff boot?
1: I do like a stiff boot. I mean, they're usually a pain in the butt to, to break in the break mm-hmm. in process is longer and they're usually a little bit heavier and bulkier but it just seems like they just hold up longer and my feet just feel better after a long hike or a long journey in them versus like a, if I was wearing like a trail runner, I feel like my feet would just be hamburger meat by the end of it. I mean, they're toast either way, but I feel like (laughs) with a trail runner, like uh, I just feel like it'd be really painful, you know, like every rock you can feel in through the soul it seems like especially on some yep. of those like lighter weight ones they just they're just not built for like heavy packs and and going down like steep hills without a trail
0: yeah yeah I'm I mean, I'm kind of a moron I just bar- yeah I just <laughs> I just barely got a brand new pair of like trail running shoes and so I think Monday I, uh, I took off and I, I did like a, like a seven miler and the first three and a half miles, I was kind of like, okay, not too bad. You know, I'm breaking in a new shoe. I'm just, just a running shoe. And then about mile three, Uh, started to get some hot spots on my heels and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not walking back to the truck. Like I got to be back to work right in front of my desk on my computer. So I just legged it out. And by the time I got back to the truck, like I've got two quarter size blisters that are completely open on my heels, which is definitely the wrong time to have a a predicament like that prior to Saturday opening up. So
1: yeah, that's no, no fun. Yeah. 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 That seems to be, the case whenever I'm breaking in boots my heels I don't know what it is about my heels like they just seem to rub every time I'm wearing like a new boot even a boot that's kind of broken in decently well like they just seem to rub when I'm going up steep hills Mm -hmm. I I just uh, I don't know I don't know what it is about my heel bone it just seems to just stick out and just rub the side of the boot how how long does it take you to wear break in a pair of boots Uh, usually like a few hikes in steep country i would say you know give or take 20 to 30 maybe even upwards of 50 miles it depends on the boot it seems like i feel like the leather boots take a little bit longer to break in versus like a synthetic upper those Mm -hmm. those don't seem to take as long to break in but Anything gotcha. with a steel or fiberglass full shank in the in the midsole seems to take, you know, twenty twenty plus miles to break in.
0: Hmm. I I wanted to ask you, uh which, <laughs> just because somebody this is a great. I like I like doing these podcasts just selfishly because I like to ask questions of people that I I look up to and I admire in the field, and so I like to get a chance to kind of ask them questions that people ask me. Um, it makes me think about it. These are the kinds of things I think about on a morning run. So it's my opportunity to like pass on the question and just ask it. But, uh, I had a guy ask me like, what's your take on like face paint or, you know, like a face mask for spot and stock mule or hunting.
1: I've never really done the face paint. I, I can't hmm. say I've ever done it. Actually, I've run a, f- like a face mask before, but it's usually like the ones that are built into those Sitka hooded shirts Mm -hmm. and I'll just flip the face mask over but it's usually only if I feel like I'm gonna be visible to the buck most of the time I try to do a blind stalk most of the way so I'm not within sight of the buck and try to stick to the shadows and whatnot I do think there is something to it like if you've got really like alabaster skin I feel like yeah it's gonna glow (laughs) in the sun a little bit more but like anyone's just gonna glow in the sun yeah maybe even your camo can glow in the sun too so i'm not sure if it has that much of an effect like i often wonder how much of an effect camo itself actually has on a stock because like Mm -hmm. i've rocked solids before and i've rocked camo before like i think we all like camo because you feel like you're blending into your environment more, but I don't really know if it makes that much of a difference. I think with hunting, it's just all about movement. So mm-hmm. I feel like maybe solids can give away movement a little bit more versus like a broken up pattern can help minimize your movement a little bit. But either yep. way, if, if they see you like... It's usually based off movement and whether you're in the sun or in the shadows and different things like that. I, I don't think it really would make too much of a difference, but we all like to stack the odds in our favors. So I don't think it hurts to put on face paint. Like I think with elk hunting, it can be a little more effective because you got bulls coming Mm. into you and you know, they end up stopping and they're face to face with you at thirty yards. And if you've got face paint on, that might be the difference, whether he pegs you or or, you know, goes on with his business and you get a shot at him.
0: So Gotcha. I
1: I personally don't rock it, so can't say that it works or doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Like I I hate face paint. I hate the way it feels. I don't like it. It feels grimy. You get on a multi day. (laughs) It seems like we make your your
1: face all greasy and like you're yeah. already gross after a few days in the back country. It's like, it's the last thing I want to do is just have face paint all over my face and I'm getting it all over my, all over my sleeping bag and stuff. Well, you know, so I, I just, I've never yep. done it for that, for that reason. Plus I'm kind of it's,
2: OCD. It's good, so
0: it's good to, to, to know to that, that you can, can, can still play. be effective without face paint or face covering. Cause I mean, I, I don't like either. I don't like, I can't really find my anchor point with like a face mask. It's hard for me. Like I can't really feel it, you know? And yeah. then, uh, face paint, yeah. I just don't like the way face paint feels. So it's good to know that. Uh, and I agree with you. I think, I mean, whether you're talking and I'm not a great mule deer spot stock hunter, I'm, I'm pretty good with a loader. I'm not so great with the archery, but I'm working on it, but, um, pr- pretty good with elk hunting. And, uh, I think, I think it's movement. I think everything is movement based. And I think I'm, I'm with you. I mean, camo, I think can maybe buy you a second, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you, if a buck sees you or, a a an elk sees you and you freeze you know he tries to catch you drawing or something like that you know maybe that camouflage can break up your outline just enough to like give you a few seconds or a second look or something like that but overall i think you're right i think it's mostly movement
1: yeah and with elk it's just all about the wind if they wind you it doesn't matter if your face is painted or not they're blowing out of that country So, for sure, it's funny. I'm the exact opposite of you. I'm, I feel like I'm a halfway decent mule deer hunter, but I'm a pretty terrible (laughs)
2: elk hunter.
1: (laughs) So, maybe we just need to trade knowledge or something. I don't know.
2: Seems like muley hunting just has
1: like a system to it. And if you follow that system, you're going to at least get an opportunity to kill a buck. Whereas, like elk hunting to me just seems like pure chaos. It just seems like the elk Mm. are just so nomadic and just. Hard to like pin down, you know. Whereas a mule deer, they're kind of like homebodies. They they like their home basin and or you know a couple mm-hmm. basins, and they just kind of stick to that country. And if you just stick to your glass, you'll end up finding them, and you bed them down, and wait for the thermals to get right, and make your play yep. at them. Try to do a blind stalk, and you know, and then you're within bow range of a buck. It it seems like the exact Opposite for elk, it just seems like if you go to stalk an elk, they're just gonna get up and move ten miles in the opposite direction, and you're gonna be left wondering where the heck they went. Yeah, but that's been my. Yeah, isn't that funny?
0: Elk like, county. yeah, I mean it's it's funny to hear you talk because I feel I feel exactly I, I I totally relate with what you're saying exactly. Only the opposite end of the spectrum. Like I feel like I'm. Mm-hmm. I, and I can kill them with a muzzleloader. I don't know how many bucks I've killed opening day of a muzzleloader hunt on a dedicated hunter tag with, mm-hmm. th- that I've hunted with a bow that, you know, I've either I've either got within range and blown a stock or, you know, the stock just didn't work out or whatever it might be. Like, I just didn't get an arrow into that animal. Whereas on the opening day of the muzzleloader hunt, I feel like I can, I can stalk and I can run right at him and I shoot him at, you know, 50, 60 yards. So it's like, there's like something yeah. about the... uh Just like my level of confidence goes up, and there's some sort of intimidation factor that I have with like spot and stock big mule deer, and and I don't have that with elk at all. I feel like I have elk figured out. Like I feel like I can I can go out, you know, pretty much any tag and offer myself a really good opportunity to harvest a bull. It's just muley seem to have my number, which is why it's interesting to talk to somebody like yourself that feels like you know the exact opposite. So. It's, it's really interesting. It's, yeah. I think a lot of it's just mindset. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. you get good at one thing, you kind of figure out that thing. And, and it's just like shooting a bow. The more your confidence goes up in that thing, you know, it's just like, I can go out here and I can do this because I've got it figured, you know, it, and it's yeah. confident. I think a lot of it's just confidence.
1: I would agree. It's like the more mule deer I kill, I'm like, okay, now I can do it. You know, I've proven to myself that it, it can be done, but I've only killed one elk with a bow. <laughs> So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh man, I, I don't know. Is it like it's possible, but it's not like every opportunity I've had to elk with a bow, it just ends in tragedy as I like wound them, <laughs> hitting them high in the shoulder or something. And you're like, oh my goodness, these things are like indestructible. <laughs> you just have to yeah. run a perfect arrow through them or they do not die. Like, so yeah, elk, or, elk have my number, but mule deer, mm. I feel like it, it's funny what you said about the muzzle loading i feel like it's because the hardest part of stalking a mule deer is that last 50 yards right like i feel like getting to 100 yards on a mule deer isn't that difficult anyone can basically do it it's that last 50 that really like determines whether you're gonna get a shot at a buck or not and i feel like Mm -hmm. it all has to do with the terrain and all the different variables that go into stocking a mule deer. But I feel like once you recognize what those variables are, then you can identify what's going to be a high percentage stock versus what's going to be a stock that you're going to end up blowing that buck out. So I feel like that's kind of the determining factor, whether you're going to be successful on a stock or not, is just recognizing what's going to work and what's not going to work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you, you've brought some things up that I think are probably critical. One of them, you, you brought up footwear. So just like throwing on a wool sock over the top. And, you know, as you were talking, you were saying it sucks to get like thorns and rocks and things like that on, you know, in your foot when you're just basically walking barefoot towards those. But, you know, in reality, I think there's probably a lot of, uh, just wisdom and that it causes you to go slower. I'm sure it does. Cause you're feeling everything, right? So you're you're probably hypersensitive yeah. to feeling anything because you've got good dexterity with your foot and your wool sock, and so it probably just slows you down. So it might not necessarily be a bad thing that you are feeling everything, even though it might hurt a little. And then uh, yeah, the other true. thing that you yeah, brought you up get to was feel
1: your environment.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the I other feel thing like you brought up was
1: stalking a mule deer takes a lot of mindfulness you know like you've just Mm got to be in the moment like if you're thinking about other things and you roll that rock they're gone you know but if you're super mindful of each step and you're calculating like each step and you know you're just taking it a step at a time I feel like that's that's when you get really good at stalking is when you can like understand how mindfulness plays into it because the elk I feel like you can kind of be noisy because elk are noisy and if you're calling and it's during the rut i feel like you can get away with a lot more noise and a mule deer's natural predator is a mountain lion and they stalk a mule deer so mule deer have evolved to have these huge ears to to recognize what their predator is and elk you know they have evolved to have these great noses because they have stinky wolves chasing them all the time and yeah. So like that's that's kind of why I feel like you have to play the wind with elk and you have to play the ears with mule deer. And yeah. you know, Yeah I agree. That's pretty much how it goes.
0: It's it's good advice. Um I wanted to ask you because you said you you talked a little bit about scouting. Um I wanted to just kinda know your take on and and also I wanted to know, like, how, how are you finding, you know, bucks? Are you using, you know, primarily like glassing, you're hitting glassing knobs and you're, you know, you're putting your, your optics to work, uh, within that, I was interested in like what your optics setup looks like. And then, you know, how many, how many days are you spending scouting and like, what are you looking for in terms of like habitat?
1: So anymore, it just seems like I can just look at Google earth and just kind of identify what basins are going to look good for muley country i don't know what it is it just like clicks in my brain i'm just like oh yeah that that spot's gonna have mule deer and i can get on this knob to glass it and and then i go up there and find bucks somehow i don't like maybe i'm just getting lucky (laughs) i I have no idea (laughs) i wish i had like some secret system but i just feel like i look at google earth and try to identify spots and then I use Onyx to like find access points and whether it's public or private and then just go from there and then just go get on like a good vantage point in the summertime and it seems like those summertime bucks are always fairly visible especially early morning late evening they always seem to show themselves and they've got to feed a lot during the day to make those velvet antlers grow so it just seems mm-hmm. like they're really visible, and you can see them. So as long as you're putting your glass to work, then then you'll end up seeing mule deer. It's just how it works in the summertime. And I just like the rule. The general rule is just get as high as possible. You know, mm-hmm. I always get pretty much choose like the highest points on the mountain range, and that's usually where I'm going. Just because that's where the majority of the bucks seem to be during that time of year. And I like master vantage points in the summer or or maybe even vantage points from further away that will allow you to see the most country and then you can pinpoint where they're actually hanging and then go get closer to to identify what they are and and see if they're a deer worth pursuing or not. But as far are as you... my optics go, I run mm-hmm. Swarovski SLC Binos 10 by 42s. And a lot of guys like to glass on a tripod. I've never been into that for whatever reason. I don't know. Oh, man. Like, I've tried it a couple times, but I feel like it's just, like, ineffective. I can't pan around as quickly versus, like, just running my elbows on my knees and just quickly Mm -hmm. scanning country, especially in the summertime, the mule deer. They're like red and have like a good contrast against the green features that they're feeding in. So, it seems like I can spot them up pretty quickly, and then I'll just run my Swarovski ATX on a, on the tripod and get a closer look at them. But gotcha. that's pretty much my optics setup.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's uh, mo- most people's take, and, and I've been, I've told people this, like the best investment you can make in, in glassing is a tripod. And I've spent most of my time glassing off of a tripod mm-hmm. through binos. But I, I see your point in that if you are glassing off of, uh you know, a tripod with your binos, you're definitely a lot more methodical. Like it, it takes a whole hell of a lot longer to pick across the hillside with a pair of binos on a tripod than it does just glassing off hand or off your knees. So that's, that's an interesting, you know, take or interesting tip potentially that maybe you do cover more ground, more efficiently and quicker, you know, just glassing off your knees or just offhand glassing through a pair of binos and then using a spotting scope to kind of confirm what you're looking at.
1: Yeah. And if I was like hunting really brushy country and it's like late in the season and mule deer have their gray coats on and they're blending in with their environment really good, or if I'm hunting coos deer or something, which I've never done, but if I was mm-hmm. to do that, then maybe I'd run binos on a tripod because I feel like it would be effective um, if you're just trying to pick up like minute little details or like small movement in the brush, then you might catch it if you're stable on, on a tripod versus holding your binoculars. And I don't know. I just feel like I'm pretty steady with my 10 by 42s. If I was running 12 by 50s or 15 by 56s, then maybe, like, obviously for 15s, you would definitely need a tripod. So maybe it's just because they're 10 by 42s, but
2: I just feel like yeah. I like to,
1: like, bounce around on ridge lines a lot, too. Like, I'll just be running a ridge ridgeline and, and glassing all kinds of different features and just trying to cover as much country as possible. And I feel like I'm less yeah. effective if I'm, like, having to pack up my tripod and... And all that. Usually, I don't bust out my tripod unless I see some deer and pick out like a big frame on a buck. Then I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna bust out my spotter and see what he is.
0: Gotcha. Um, Yeah, that's good. That's interesting. And, And I think I think you make a good point. It probably depends on the type of terrain and vegetation that you're hunting. So if it's like more brushy, you've got some sagebrush, some oak you know if you're hunting low country pinion juniper type stuff it probably would behoove you to to throw them up on a tripod but if you're hunting like you are a lot of you know in the videos that I've seen of you I mean if you're hunting true alpine above timberline high country mule deer I can definitely see your point and it's that's interesting it's uh like yeah. it's it's something it, it seems pretty simple but it's something I probably haven't put much thought into so I I dig that that's a, a sweet little tip
1: yeah they're i mean they're so visible in the alpine like, unless you're trying yep. to spot them embedded in the timber or something, I, I feel like they're they're visible enough that, that you wouldn't need a tripod. But maybe I'm that wrong you. too. Like, I, you know, I've never well, really I think run it's... them on a tripod. So <laughs> yeah. it's just all personal. I think preference. I think it's a point. Just like point. boots, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, everything's just personal preference with gear and and how you hunt and your style. But I don't think one mm-hmm. way is like more effective or better than another way. It's just the way we do things, I guess.
0: Let me, uh, let me ask you. I had a question. I had a question. So I know that some people that that uh, I respect quite a bit that that do a lot of archery uh, mule deer hunting. Um, I've talked to those guys and they've said that they're kind of looking for. They're not necessarily looking for a buck. Um, they're looking at an area that they think is like the most conducive to spot and stock style archery mule deer hunting. Um, so I was curious on your take are you when you're looking at a terrain you know whether you're looking at it on you know a map like go hunt maps or google earth or whatever it is that you're using um, and you're looking at that or you know when you're in the field you're actually out scouting like are you looking for a buck to hunt and then you're going to try to figure out how to actually kill that buck or are you more looking at an area like this is an area I think is conducive to spot and stock hunting. I want to find a buck in this area that I can hunt. Like any say, any thoughts on that?
1: I would say both. Like definitely when I'm looking at maps, I'm looking for conducive spot and stock habitat, which is usually mm-hmm. like more broken country, sparse timber, jack pines, those types of things where uh, I can watch a mule deer bed and he's not in like some thick patch of timber if they go on a thick patch of timber your your play is gone you're basically just still hunting at that point like you'd have a point of reference to maybe set up an ambush on that buck but you're you're probably screwed as far as getting a high percentage stock in mm-hmm. but uh yeah i do, i do look for more stockable country and it just kind of comes with hunting the alpine in general like it seems to be more stockable than like mid-country hunting like if you're hunting like thick stands of quakies and and thick stands of pines like you're not going to get high percentage stocks as often as you are in the high country you know watching bucks bed in in sparse patches of timber and yeah so I do look for I do look for terrain that's stockable but it I also look for bucks in the summer and Anymore, I don't know, like I feel like I've killed like a few mule deer that are within that like one fifty to one seventy range and so like the next goal is like you know, one eighty plus, you know. So I mm-hmm. feel like I'm looking for like a next level deer and not nec- score doesn't necessarily have to like be a thing. I just look for like the most mature deer that I can pursue or a deer that gets me excited, you know something yeah. that I'd be happy with. But yeah, yeah. If he's living in a stockable base and that's a huge bonus.
0: Yeah. It's it's funny how many people I talked to re, more recently, I would say like in the last 2 years that if you bring up score and this is just like a side tangent that I'll go off on and then I'll get back to the main thing, but like it seems like you bring up score people that's usually like, like you. And I've, I've been you, I've been on your side of the, you know, the microphone, if you will. And, you know, and I've said the thing like, yeah, score doesn't really matter. And it doesn't. And I see your point, but like, I just, it's interesting to me. It's like almost become this like dirty word to like talk about a buck score and like (laughs) wanting a buck that's 180 or 190 or 200, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I'm with you. Like, I totally understand. Like I'm trying to kill the biggest buck I can find. Like if, you know, if he's 220, and he's awesome, you know. And he's four years old or five. Great, you know. If he, but but um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I I think it's funny that uh, like I don't know because I mean you, you're like me. I don't know how old you are, but like I'm in my 40s. But like score used to be the first thing anybody would talk about. Like, oh, I'm trying to kill a 180 inch buck this year, you know, and like people kind of said it proudly. And I don't, I don't know that there's anything wrong with that in my opinion. I mean, I think if your goal is 180 inch deer, that's awesome. I think it should be 180 inch right. deer or, <laughs> you know, and I, th- I think we're all trying to kill the biggest buck we can find. And I think it's, I think it should be totally okay and normalized that we're all trying to kill a big buck. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, trophy hunting does have like a bad name and I wouldn't yeah. consider myself a trophy hunter by any means. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like all about all of like the totality of the experience, like, I want all of it, you know, like I want, yep. I want to backpack in, I want to hunt the type of country that I like to hunt, the high country. I want to kill a mature buck. I want, you know, I want my buddies to be there. Like I, I just love, I love the for for, I guess the score to me would be more of like a challenge, right? So mm-hmm. like if killing 150 inch deer is starting to become easy, it's because I want like more of a challenge and I want to like limit myself more and just teach myself like patience more because I feel like it does require like a lot of patience to actually pursue just one buck or a couple different bucks that, you know, hit that number. And it's not necessarily about the number. It's just more about that pursuit and, and what it does for you. Like, to me, that's where I'm finding my motivation these days. Yeah, because like I have done, you know, like I've killed some medium-sized bucks, if you will, and so like that's just like the next challenge or the next goal to set. It doesn't really have anything to do with score as much as it does. It as much as it has to do with like my evolution as a hunter, you know.
2: Yep, but like, that's still but, that's like well
1: it's said. all. It's all like I love the meat. I love. I love every mm-hmm. aspect of hunting. I love scouting in the summer. You know, like to me, all of it just adds up to like just the experience. You know, that's what that's yep. what I'm really after. It's not necessarily like a number, so I don't want to like yeah. make myself to be known as like some guy that only cares about score because I don't. And like you yep. set these goals in your head before season. You're like, oh, I'm going to kill a 180 plus buck this year. And then you get an opportunity at like a 150 or 160 buck. And you're like, I'm taking that opportunity, especially after day four or five, when, you know, Mm -hmm. you just had all of your opportunities just squandered by other hunters or whatever it may be. And, and, you know, you're just like, I I think I better take this opportunity. Who knows if I'm going to get another one this season. so. That's yeah. what I've been doing. I've been kind of just settling <laughs> the last few years, and I, I kind of want to just hold myself to, to it, you know, like to d- just mm-hmm. pursue the biggest deer, and and that's like the goal, you know, and just yeah, hold myself to that, and not settle. Yeah, and
0: that's 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 well said. You you said the thing that I was trying to say in a much better way, a much more concise, <laughs> eloquent way. So that's uh, that's exactly that. how I feel. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I feel like uh, I feel like it's okay to to hunt an animal. In my opinion, I think it's okay to hold out and hunt an animal for score if that's your thing. But I, anybody that I know that does that, they're not solely hunting a number just for the sake of the number. They're hunting it for the challenge that's involved in that. You know, in hunting mm-hmm. a buck, in hunting a buck of that caliber the entire experience, yeah. what it takes. And I've killed some bucks that are that big and I know what it took. And that's what, that's what I'm chasing too, is like that entire experience, yeah. you know? So yeah. I, I totally get and that.
1: It's about what it represents too, as far as like, mm-hmm. I I feel like guys are all about guys that are all about score. Like I mm-hmm. have to ask them, I'm like, where did you kill it? Not like specifically where, but is it public or private land? Cause that's a big deal to me was it a super limited entry tag or was it a general tag? Cause that's that, you know, all those <laughs> variables matter to me, you know, if you can kill a 200 inch buck on public ground, uh, with a bow during, you know, like during August, like I feel like that's just really hard to do, you know, yep. whereas some people like, I don't know if you're hunting like the Henry mountains with a rifle, like, your odds are going to be a lot higher to kill that caliber of deer, so I think like yep. those those variables matter to me. So I always ask people like, you know, was well, that a private land buck or is that a or is that a ranch buck? You know, is that a high sure. pens ranch or is it just you know like a free range sure. ranch? So yeah, I think those details yeah, the, matter the, in hunting.
2: Yeah, it's not necessarily and the one thing that I've kind score. of yeah.
0: The one thing I've kind of had to land on is like, I think it's totally okay if people are chasing those kinds of things. Like I'm totally okay with like, Mm. I mean, I've had to come to this with a, yeah, I've, I've had to come to it with age. Like I'm totally okay with it. It's awesome. Go for it. It's just, it's just not the same experience that I'm chasing. And like, I think it's totally fine that that's what they value and that that's what works for them. I think it's still hunting. I think it's great that they're hunting. I think hunting is good for everybody, whether you're doing it for Mm. whatever reason that you're doing it for, you know, as long as you're doing it legal, I'm, I'm cool with it. You know, it's just a different experience that I'm looking for.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I have nothing against private land hunters or, or anything like that like if perhaps if i had the money maybe i'd be doing the same thing i tell myself (laughs) because i I like the public land grind i really do like yeah that's half the reason i like hunting is just because anyone can do it and it's an even playing field so but yeah nothing nothing against private land guys
0: yeah no i get it um i wanted to ask you a couple other questions that uh that are kind of more specific to the, this, and this kind of, you know, goes into it, but, um, you know, I noticed when I watch one of these films and I think you, I, I can't remember the name of it. Something ghost. You you can tell me
1: chasing ghosts,
0: chasing yeah. ghosts. Right. So yeah. one, one thing I noticed is there was a, a giant buck. And then, uh, you know, throughout that film, you were talking about, you know, other people in the areas and, you know, bucks get getting bumped and kind of dealing with, with hunting pressure. So, In regards to like hunting public land, DIY style on, you know, relatively easy to draw tags, like how do you, how do you deal with hunting pressure? How do you look at hunting pressure and do in your mind, like, you know, if you, if you're hunting a buck and you've got that buck found and you're putting some time into him, you know, scouting him and then hunting him, you know, if you bump that buck, if somebody else bumps that buck, like how do you approach hunting that buck again in the future? Like how do you deal with hunting pressure?
1: you pretty much just have to either stick with it or move on and go find another buck to hunt. Like it's, it's kind of what your personal goals are. If your personal goal is that buck, then you just stick with him and and try to find him after a week after he's been bumped. But you may as well just pack up your camp and, and move out for a week because you're not going to see him again, at least a deer of that caliber. And, That deer really was a ghost, at least for that season. So from what I heard, he got bumped opening day. I actually had him at 40 yards and Mm. came to full draw as he was sprinting by me, hoping that he would (laughs) stop. He did not stop. And then that was the last I saw of him. And I talked to at least four other hunters that got a shot at him that morning. And they all missed Yeah. So it was like just chaos on that buck and it's actually, yeah, he, he, he disappeared the rest of the season and nobody saw him again for the rest of the season. And so Mm. it's interesting. I don't know what that deer's survival strategy was other than dumped down into secondary living and just live down there forever. But he didn't seem to show himself for other people. And I killed a different buck later on that week. And so I just kind of gave up on on looking for that buck and and keeping tabs on him I just didn't even worry about it the rest of the year but from other people that I that I talked to they they said that they never saw him again and then we turned him up the next year during scouting season in the summertime and I didn't have a tag so I just got some footage of him and saw that he had grown a little bit and he's a really cool buck and then nobody saw him again after opening day from what I could understand from what other people said and then once the rut kicked in and we got that early snowstorm this year it pushed a lot of bucks out of the high country and that buck ended up pushing down into into the winter range and ended up getting harvested and in uh during the extended season so connor rollins is the one who killed the buck yeah yeah he's a really cool buck
0: yeah it's it's curious isn't it like you you do wonder like what happened to that buck that's i was curious just to follow up with what happened to him like if somebody actually killed him on the early archery hunt or you know if he got killed on a on a late hunt i i know of i know of animals bucks and bulls that uh I don't know that they would ever be killed, to be honest, unless they were killed, you know, later in the year. Like, I, I can think mm-hmm. of a bull that was killed with a sportsman's tag. that was killed in, uh, you know, December, January. I can't remember. But, you know, that bull, we looked – I had buddies that were looking for that bull that were, you know, trying – they were guiding clients, and they were trying to find that bull. And, I mean, that bull had been, you know, 380 for a number of years before they killed him – and people were looking for him then, and I always wondered, like, what you know, where did that buck go or bull go, you know? And I always wonder, you know, some of these animals like that buck. Man, I really wonder. It's it's really interesting to try to figure out, like, how do they react to pressure? And it's kind of fun to speculate. Um, you know, my biggest buck I ever shot was a a buck I never I never really saw. I saw one time, and then like I killed him on opening day of the muzzleloader hunt. And, uh, you know, I'd hunted 17 days and I told this story on the last podcast we did with the, our other podcast, but you know, I never could find that buck and it always made me wonder like, where was that buck? And the interesting thing was, is like, I killed that buck pretty much in the exact same area that he was in the summer. So like he was there somewhere that entire time, you know, I'm talking from July all the way through, uh, September, like first part into September Mm -hmm. when I shot that buck on the muzzleloader hunt. So it always makes me curious as to what those bucks do. So I was, I was interested in following up with you and kind of finding out what happened to that buck. And I think they just
1: stay in their home basin. They really do. Like they're just, they're that smart and they're that good at surviving in just like Mm -hmm. one small area that they can, they can just figure out where they need to go, where they're not going to get pressured. And usually that's thicker timber and secondary living. Like, that's just mm-hmm. what they do, it, it, but he did stay up high. I did hear from one person, so he was killed last year in 22, but the year I hunted him in 21, somebody saw him on a trail camera in that same basin at 10,000 feet in December. Oh, so wow. So he stayed all the way up high in December is when he was seen on a trail camera. I'm like, that is Same, same general unbelievable. area? Unbelievable. Yeah, he was a general buck.
0: So, yeah.
1: Yeah, super super interesting to hear that. I'm like, I'm a firm believer and I've heard Brady Miller say it before that the bucks stay up high until they really get forced out by snow. And I'm I'm mm-hmm. a firm believer in that as well, but this this last year that snowstorm was pretty gnarly in in October and it just kept getting pounded with snow and I think a lot of bucks were just like, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to survive this if we don't push out. So they did. and Then they ended up rutting in, in the foothills instead of, uh, you know, usually half migrate out to the foothills and half stay up in the high country to rut. But this mm-hmm. year it was like all of them were rutting down low. It seemed like.
0: Yeah. Well, here's, here's some interesting food for thought for you. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll help you out. Maybe, I don't know. It helped me, but um, that buck that I killed I don't know that I ever would have killed that buck if I hadn't, um, I hunted on the backside of a storm. So we had like a three day storm Mm. and it blew in and it rained and it was windy for like three days. I'm talking like 20, 30 mile an hour winds and just blowing sideways rain for like three days. And then on about the, so this was like three days before the opener and then the opener of the muzzleloader hunt, it was really windy, but the rain had lifted. And then that evening, uh, I was just sitting there thinking, you know, where's this buck going to be if he is potentially still in this area? And I thought, you know, he's going to be in kind of in the bottom of this canyon, but not, not far from where we'd seen him in the summer. But I thought, you know, if he's going to be on this north-facing slope, kind of out of the wind, you know. And I got to thinking, you know, for three days he probably hasn't fed that much just because there's a ton of wind and a ton of rain, you know. I, he's probably been bedded a lot the last three days. Yeah. And I think that's really the only reason that I caught that buck up and moving in daylight. So, just you know food for thought Yeah, I, you would know?
1: Ag- I would agree with you i feel like every time i spot a nice buck, it's usually after a storm especially if it's later in the season after they've been pressured that's one yep. thing that does seem to get them up and moving is is some weather especially if it's been a couple days of weather because you're right i think they just stay bedded and and they don't feed much or they're feeding in the timber where the feed's not quite as good and so they yep. have to make their way out of the timber and they make themselves a little more visible by feeding out in the open yeah. they always have to feed they have to
0: yep yep it's it's kind of changed my opinion and i think there's probably something in that that uh you know pay attention to those weather you know swells when they come in and you know kind of focus your efforts in my opinion sometimes on the back side of those i think once that lifts it can be really productive to picking up an animal that you may not see otherwise. So it's it's definitely had my wheels turning for sure ever since I killed that bug.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, And we got a weather system rolling through right now right before opening weekend. (laughs) Yes, we (laughs) did. Yes,
0: absolutely. We do completely. Um, I wanted to ask you another couple questions. I've had you for over an hour already, so I wanted to get to some of these other ones, but um, I wanted to, your films that I watched you got the two shots of the two bucks I saw you kill like you were shooting pretty steep downhill like you were shooting from ledge, right? and I think the one I watched uh earlier you were shooting pretty much downhill. I mean it was steep, it looked really steep. So do you have any tips or tricks to like, what tools are you using to make those kinds of shots downhill? Like are you using basically just like an angle compensation rangefinder? Are you doing any extra calculations? Is there anything in regards to your equipment that you're doing to make sure that you can make a shot? That's that steep.
1: I would say the two things that are an absolute must when you're hunting steep country is having your bows third axis set up. If your third (laughs) axis isn't set up, then you're pretty much screwed on a steep uphill or downhill shot. And then just having a good angle compensating rangefinder. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't do any extra mathematics in the field. I don't bust out my notebook and start breaking yeah. down the physics of the shot. But I do try to be mindful of, because like I've heard guys, they'll come to full draw and they're on a steep hill and then their limb smacks a rock or smacks their Dude. thigh. I think, uh, South Cox just mentioned that in his last little film that his, his bow and he's shooting a stick bow, but I mean, still like if your limb hits anything, it's going to just take away the energy that's supposed to go into that arrow. So I think that's, that's just one thing to be mindful of while you're at full draw on a steep hill. Cause you may not realize it, but your limb might, you know, smack into something and, cause your arrow to miss that buck or hit him poorly yeah. So,
0: do you do you shoot in your third axis so like summertime are you shooting angles just to double check I
1: try to like I think for the most part I shoot pretty flat shots or you know just slight angled shots but mm-hmm. I, tr- I try to I try to do like several practice sessions where I'm shooting steep uphill or steep downhill I'm definitely doing like total archery challenge that's that's gotcha. one way to to really check and see if your third axis is on or off so i really enjoy shooting that every year
0: yeah yeah that shoot it it can be a lot of fun like it's a good those are fun shoots to just go out with your buddies and fling arrows at targets but I mean, uh, I've had a lot of people that will be like, oh, you know, I'd rather be out scouting for deer. And, like, I totally get that as well, yeah, you know. And they kind of poke fun at guys that go to the total, total Archery Challenge, which is great. Yeah, whatever, you know, poke fun, that's cool. But I also do think you you can definitely tell something about your equipment and the way it's set up by just spending a couple of days shooting one of those shoots. Like, you know, shoot the one at Solitude that, you know, was this summer. You know, you spend a day shooting uphill and downhill angles, you can definitely tell if your third access is on and you can also tell a lot about your uh you know your angle compensation on your rangefinder and how accurate it might be for you. So, you know, it might be worth it just to shoot one of those spend a day and like how often is it that you get a chance to go out and shoot those kind of angles, you know, where you don't have to like carry your target out, you know, up and down the hill and shoot. it? I mean, the course is all set up and for I think 105 bucks or 110 bucks, you can shoot for 2 days and just really work your equipment in. So, I think there's some value in it
1: yeah i mean it gets exhausting carrying your target around the hill and and walking up and down steep hills over and over again so i that that's why i like shooting it plus it's just always like a good time when when you're with buddies and stuff so i'll take Mm -hmm. one day out of the summer and shoot it and it doesn't seem to take away from my scouting but (laughs) if it was if that was your only time to go scouting and and you had to choose, I'd probably say, to go scouting. But, you know, <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Yeah. You're either dialed have with you... your setup or you're dialed in scouting. So I try to balance yeah. both.
0: Have you, uh, have you ever given up on a buck that you wanted to kill because you just didn't think he was in an area that you could kill him?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say so, Definitely. Yeah, it seems um, like if it's thicker country, it gets frustrating because they just they turn into nocturnal ghosts and they're just bedding and just and if it's an area where it is thick with like quakeys per se, like I feel like there's a lot of good Forbes and quakies. like they can like they can just feed within the quaky patches without being detected. So I yeah I have given up on bucks just cuz I feel like they're almost unhuntable or unkillable or you know and I feel like I can maximize my potential for killing a buck in a different area that you know where they're playing yeah. the game right
0: Yeah that's and it's hard it's it's hard cuz you fall in love with an animal and you're like it all costs them to hunt this animal and you could spend your entire hunt just you know, throwing dust in the wind, if it, essentially like, you're just not going to kill that animal. Cause it's just not in an yeah. area that that will work for spot and stock archery out, or deer hunting. It's tough.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: For yeah. me,
1: I've never killed that unicorn buck yet. So to mm-hmm. me, there's still like this mythological creature that I can't kill. So that's why <laughs> that is another reason why I want to get one so bad is just cause like, it, it's just so mysterious to me. And like, I love yeah. how I love how every hunt has, Basically ended with that buck just surviving through the season and and living on, you know, almost like a legend in a in a yep. story. And it it just seems fitting.
0: Yeah, makes make it fun, it doesn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. it does it makes me respect him a whole lot more.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. One of them being, what do you think the uh, so spot and stock archery mule deer? What do you think like the top three? you know, either tips or mistakes that people make?
1: I would say tips. I would just get, if you're hunting high country mule deer, you got to get up high, grab good vantage points and just glass. Just let your glass mm-hmm. do the work or run ridge lines, And yeah, you basically have to spot a mule deer in order to kill them. So if you're not seeing mule deer, then It's going to be pretty hard to kill them because you like still hunting a mule deer is probably the hardest thing you can do because they are so aware of their surroundings and their hearing is so keen. I just feel Mm -hmm. like you're not going to get away with much if you're still hunting. Um, and they seem to bed in like places where they can see or hear anything that's coming at them. So if you don't know their exact location, then you're pretty much your your odds are stacked against you i would say and then Mm -hmm. another tip i would say is to wait for the right opportunity and that can also go into the mistakes as well i feel like most guys will see a buck especially if they're inexperienced because this is how i was when i was an inexperienced hunter but you see a buck you get excited and you just start taking off after him and that's just not the right thing to do unless the situation calls for it. Maybe it does. Maybe they're feeding up to a saddle and you can cut him off or whatever. But I think most of the time you want to just watch that buck, watch what he does, and wait for him to put himself in a spot that's going to put you at at high odds for killing him versus, you know, just making some haphazard play at him and, and blowing him out. So, You really just have Mm -hmm. to be mindful of like all the variables on the stock. Like, is the wind going to be in my favor? Am I going to be coming in on a blind stock for the most part? Like, am I going to be out of sight of that buck until I'm within bow range of him? Like, those are all things that that I think you should be striving for when you're stalking a mule deer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like most people when they're new to it, they just kind of, bull rush in and you know just blow it up before it's even a thing like they just gotcha. don't wait for the right opportunity and i've definitely been there way too many times so i know from experience mm-hmm. i've i've done all those stocks that just did not work out and i wanted it so bad and i was just trying to force it and make it happen and it's it's just really hard to make it happen on a buck you just have to almost let everything fall into place and then notice when all the stars are aligning and then take advantage of that opportunity.
0: Yeah. Something that you said earlier, I think probably the one thing that uh, like that we, you know, we've talked for an hour and a half, but kind of like the one thing I think that you said that like is resonating with me the most is uh, you were talking about those last 50 yards, kind of the difference between a guy with a muzzle loader and a guy that's successful with a bow and arrow. Is like that last fifty yards, and something that you said in regard to that is just like being mindful. some mindfulness in that last fifty yards. So can you, I mean, maybe just expound on on that on that, and we'll kind of use that to wrap up. But I'm curious as to like that last fifty yards, staying mindful. Like, what are you what are you thinking about in that that process, that last fifty yards?
1: That last fifty yards, I'm literally just thinking about like what like i'm just trying to live in the moment so i just slow it down like whatever you're doing slow down unless like you the situation calls for it like you need to rush to a spot before he gets there or something and you're out of sight of him but for the most part if you're if you're stalking those last 50 yards i would just slow down and just focus on every step focus on your breathing and just try to remain calm because the situation can really overwhelm you and mm-hmm. it can just feel like like the most intense experience that you've ever had, you know. So you really have to just take deep breaths, take it a step at a time, and I like to just look at the ground when I'm when I'm stalking. Like if I'm moving, I'm looking at where I'm placing my feet. Versus like, I'm not worried about what the mule deer is doing. I'll check on the deer when I'm not moving, but I'm going to watch my feet when I am moving. So I'm just really mindful of like what my actions are. And I'll, you know, I'll only step when, you know, if I'm looking at my feet and I know like where I'm going to place my foot. And then once mm-hmm. I'm stopped, then I'll, I'll check on the buck and make sure he's looking, you know, downhill or, in another direction and not not pinned right on me because if he's looking at you he already knows you're there and he's just waiting for you to move and then he's going to blow out so but yeah yeah, that last 50 yards you just have to be really slow really methodical and really careful
0: yeah yeah I, I like that man being mindful because I think it really is it's that last approach it's that last 50 yards to get into range and it's it's being, and I like the way that you said it, being completely present. You're thinking about mm-hmm. every movement that you're making, you know, the movement with your bow in your hand, you know, yeah. the, the position of your head, the, the shadows, um, you know, the, the air, what's it doing? You know, are you getting, a, is the breeze still going the right direction? You know, the placing of your foot um, just absolutely everything, just being completely mindful. And I think it takes a lot of, I mean, it takes, in my opinion, it takes like a special, it's a skill set, And I think, I don't think you get it right out the gate. I think you have to develop that over time. I think it takes a ton of patience to, to be my, that mindful because when you're going that slow and it's really dragging and I mean, it can take you an hour to go 50 yards or even three hours, maybe potentially. Right. I mean, it could take you a really long time it's really hard. This is me speaking personally. It's really hard for me to stay that present for that long. So, but, but the guys that do it, you know, like yourself, I think that's the, the the devils in the details. That's where success comes. It's just being really present in the moment.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you made a good point about what direction the wind's blowing, but I also like Mm. to only move when the wind's blowing too, because that can Mm. really like, decrease the amount of noise that the mule deer can hear because i feel like mule deer bed down when it's like super windy and they stay bedded Mm -hmm. they don't like to feed out in the open when it's super windy at least you know generally speaking yeah Um, but like i feel like that wind can help mask your noise a little bit so if it is like a bit breezy like it normally is in the mid-afternoon in the high country when i choose to stalk a mule deer that's that's usually what I like to do is only move when the wind is blowing because it's just extra, yeah. extra masking of your noise.
0: Yeah. There's all, there's all those little tips, you know, like a plane flying over. I've used that a bunch of times. Yeah. You have a plane fly over and you need to take a difficult step. That's a time to do it. Like it's, it's those kinds of things just like picking up on the most minute details of that stock that are going to help you make the difference. So yeah, I like I completely that.
1: completely agree. Completely
0: agree, well, well, cool, um, I think I'll wrap up I've had you've been very generous, so you've given me an hour and a half. I appreciate it You're welcome. um yeah one one thing I always ask people at the end of it just to get to know you a little bit better, like what's the last thing that you listen to?
1: the last thing that I listen to, like music- yeah or? music
0: podcast, what are you into
1: i uh, I usually listen to music, I listen to some podcasts like I've listened to your guys' go Hunt podcasts, mm-hmm. they're a good time to listen to and Listen to a lot of Eastman's elevated podcasts, and gotcha. I'd really like to hear Brian Barney speak because he's he's a high country mule deer connoisseur, just like myself. Yep. So, and yeah, I usually listen to like just a, a lot of different music. You know, I listen to to alternative rock, rap, reggae, all of it. So, <laughs> yeah, like a some reggae spectrum of music. Yeah, some reggae, like some stick. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I
0: like it. Some, some bob marley i'm into it i love bob marley yeah,
1: some bob marley oh yeah
0: yeah for sure well some sometime we'll have to swap sometime we'll have to go on a mule deer hunt together and then maybe we do an elk hunt we figure it out huh i can figure out how to spot and stock mule oh, deer hunt you can figure absolutely. out how to elk hunt we'll combo it up
2: yeah
1: that sounds like a plan man that'd be a good <laughs> deal to make because <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm desperate to kill a bull <laughs> i want i want to get a bull oh yeah with my bow so bad that's like a goal i've had for the last couple of years and yeah, it just gotcha. hasn't hasn't happened for a while, so
0: Yeah, I I think I think I could help you kill a bull. I don't know if you could help me kill a Muley, because you can't do oh, that for definitely. me, but I, I mean elk are dumb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say they're dumb, not by any means, but yeah.
0: they're they're not as bright as a Muley. I know that. I know they're 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 definitely Brady will love this, but uh you know, I like elk better, <laughs> but they're they're definitely an easier animal to hunt, in my opinion. Spot and stock.
1: Well, I yeah, I would what, be super down to make that happen, Trail. I, I would. Yeah, we'll we'll
0: that. have to give it a go at some point when we get our our schedules cleared up. Maybe in the next couple of years, huh?
1: Okay, sounds like a plan.
0: Well, cool. Thanks, Jared. I really appreciate your time. Um, you going out Saturday?
1: I'm not going out Saturday. I'll be out Monday, so I got Monday there to Monday go. off, and that's the time I have. So we'll see what we can. Is do Is there
0: with it. is there a tip in that? Do you try to hunt weekdays?
1: Uh yeah kind of i mean definitely weekdays or this is actually one of the first opening weekends that i haven't hunted other than last year cuz i didn't have a tag but mm-hmm. this is probably the first opening weekend in the last decade that i haven't hunted. oh man and so it's it's kind of like like kind of painful but at the same time i know it'll be worth it because i've always told myself like just just wait just save your time cuz Opening day is always just a mess. Mm-hmm. It's just a shit show with guys everywhere, and so I, yep. I would rather just save my time for when I can be more effective on the mountain than all the weekend warriors have moved out.
0: Are you, uh, you gonna try to film it?
1: I am. Yeah, yeah. I've got some buddies going up with me, and they're gonna help me film and and everything. It does. It is pretty challenging to just film if you're mm-hmm. by yourself especially like the kill shot and everything but it yep. seems like you get better footage if you got someone to film for you.
0: Cool. Well, good, good luck to you guys. We'll, uh, I'll follow your social media and we, I, I look forward to a film. I'm sure you guys will do well.
1: Thank you, sir. Good luck to you as well. Right. If you're getting out this weekend
0: yeah i'm getting out i'll probably just you know what'll happen for me is like i've got like i said i got a general season elk tag and you know and i've got big plans in my mind for mule deer but the first elk i see i'll just go chase it so
1: (laughs) (laughs) there you go nice
0: yep so i i I appreciate you coming on good luck to you and we'll we'll stay in touch okay
1: okay thanks for having me on trail
0: yep bye jared
1: okay see you